0: It's sex and Sarah Rose. I'm Sarah Rose and really quick before we get into this episode, I know you may have found my podcast because you were looking for some interesting information about sex to listen to, but what you may not know is that I actually work with a lot of men to help them tap into their inner badass, have the sexual confidence that they've always desired to have, and to know once and for all that she isn't faking it. I have two distinct programs to help men. The first is for men who are ready to take the first step towards igniting their powerful sexual energy and getting better in bed. It's called Sex Stallion Training and it's an online program for you to do on your own time in the privacy of your home without a partner. This is for men that are single in a relationship or dating people. The second is called Man on Fire, which is the only sex university just for men. This six month program is designed to help you become the ultimate sexual master. For six whole months, you train with me in live online sessions, and I will train you to be the best lover that she has ever had. So if you want the sex secrets that every woman wish you knew, and you wish that every woman had told you, this is where they are finally revealed check out more info at tantricactivation.com or just check out the show notes in the podcast app you're listening to this from now and there will be links there for you. Thanks and enjoy the show. You so excited to have with me right now Lavita Locus Sawyers. She's a non non-monog- non-monogamy speaker, educator, and relationship coach. Specializing in helping people make the transition from monogamy to non-monogamy, featured in the documentary Polly Love, and on various media outlets, including Vice, I am Polly.net. Her followers enjoy her frank, candid, compassionate approach to non-monogamous relationships. And I just happen to really think her hair is super badass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on top of, on top of it all. <laughs>
1: I went to Jamaica recently, and so I uh, put the pink in because I wanted a kind of tropical look.
0: (laughs) It's absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) Jealous. (laughs) So good to be with you today.
1: I'm happy to be here also and to be talking to you, Sarah. Thank you so much for this opportunity
0: uh, yeah, I was so excited when we were introduced and we made the connection and I just was like, yes, like you are such a freaking powerful woman. You have so much passion and I just love how you, like so much of what we talk about is like taking up space, right? Like women feeling that they're not allowed to take up space in the world. We have to dim ourselves, we have to dim our light and like what I see in you is you're just fully embodied and like, yes, like I'm here. I'm valuable. I am worthy of the things that I have to say.
1: Yes, absolutely. All of our experiences and our stories are valid. Um, our voices are valid. Uh, and I think so much, especially as women, we're told to be, uh, quiet to, you know, uh, not, talk about the things that we're um, experiencing to not use our voice or to use our voices in these very diminished ways. Um, And I don't want any parts of that personally. So, and I like to empower other people to feel uh, that their voice exactly as it is and exactly what they have to say is valid.
0: Yeah. And when you do that, it gives, uh, energetically, it gives other women permission to do the same. Like they see you and they're like, she's doing it, I can do it too.
1: That's the point. <laughs> it's very much not about, it is about me and it's not about me. It's about allowing other people the space to feel empowered to go, you know, this person, like you said, is doing that, then maybe I can do that too. Or maybe if they don't even do it fully, um, they do a little bit more. Uh, you know, they, they they rise to the occasion and go, maybe I can speak up a little bit more. Maybe I can say something in this, it's this situation where I would have normally, remain silent. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I show up so fully to that.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I really love that about you. And yeah, just so excited to hear you talk about this subject that is still very taboo, right? Like even though a lot more people have explored are exploring non-monogamy, um, it's still something that there's a lot of shame around, like a lot of, um, couples that do practice non-monogamy, they do it in secret. Like they don't want anyone to know about it. Um, and they especially don't want their families to know about it. They don't want their kids to know it. You know, everyone has their own kind of story around it. Um, but I would love to hear about your journey into this place and just all the wisdom you have to share.
1: Uh, Yes. Um, So uh, how uh, I got into non-monogamy, it's very interesting. Um, So I was married to my husband for about nine years when we first started. And we were going through a very difficult time in our family. My son had gotten diagnosed with brain cancer. And um, so we were in this like really, really, really difficult time in life. And my partner had a lot of uh, sexual hangups and repression. and then I was going through my own journey with um, really fully exploring my sexuality. But I was m- married to this man. I was in this heterosexual marriage while also not really feeling fully heterosexual. And so we initially got into non-monogamy through swinging, which is a lot of the way couples start is they start with swinging we were like hey we're going through this really difficult time in our lives you have some stuff you got to work out i have some stuff i got to work out you know let's have some fun and so we started with swinging like a lot like i said like a lot of couples do and swinging worked very well for me i'm very much a very sexually free person i can engage in recreational sex very easily it wasn't a challenge for me but my husband struggled with it because he identifies, or I would say he was, I don't know if he fully identified this way, but I would say he's a lot more of a a demisexual person, which for those of you that don't know what that means, it means that you generally only experience sexual attraction with someone that you have an emotional bond with. And that's very hard to create in the swinger community because swinging is largely about recreational sex. So you're not really developing relationships with people. You may have friends that you see at parties regularly But it's not an emotional relationship. It's not an emotional connection. And very much the swinger community is very set up so that uh, emotional bonds are not formed because it's just not that kind of party. So it's mostly about having recreational sex with other people. And so swinging worked very well for me, but it didn't work very well for him. He really struggled. And we were at a swinger party and a woman came in with her boyfriend and her husband came in later on and it like blew our minds because we just were like, this is a thing, you know, that people do. And they were just kind of sitting there laughing and, and interacting with each other. And it appealed to my husband, I'm going to be honest, a lot more than it appealed to me uh, because I was very comfortable with just swinging because at that time, that was very early on in our journey, I very much felt like, the essence of who my husband was, his thoughts, his feelings, his emotions, his affection, those things were quote unquote mine. And I did not want to share those things with other people, whereas like sex is just something that you do with your body. And so that was a lot easier for me to conceptualize because I was like, well, he's still coming home with me. His heart still comes home with me. Whereas having an emotional connection to people was very scary for me. Mm-hmm. And so we initially started tried it. And we're just like, no, we weren't, I wasn't ready. And I was just like, no, like, you know, we tabled it. And then about six months later, I began to want to explore having the opportunity to have romantic connections to women because I had had a lot of sexual interactions with women, but I'd never gotten a chance to have a romantic interaction with a woman. I'd never been able to date a woman before, or, you know, had that experience. And so we reopened the conversation And we were like, okay, like, you know, what would this look like? And we initially got into uh, polyamory to date separately because my husband and I just do not have the same taste in women at all. And so I was like, you go find a partner for yourself. I'm going to go find a partner for myself. And never the twain shall meet. We ended up uh, meeting someone that we both liked, ironically, at a swinger party. And we were with her for about two years off and on, and she's actually uh, the other person that is featured in the documentary Poly Love with us. And once we got into that relationship, the floodgates kind of broke open. And then it was just like, okay, well now we're polyamorous. Now we're capable of of having these relationships that aren't just about sex or about recreational sex, but that can actually develop into uh, deep emotional romantic bonds. And so that was in 2000. We met her in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. And then from that point on, we were polyamorous. And so we've had several partners throughout the this time. And how I came to be the person that I am today is that when I got into non-monogamy, because a lot of people, and especially couples, when they get into non-monogamy, it's very scary. It's like, oh my gosh, this is this really scary thing, and especially in couples where uh, you have a heterosexual man and a bisexual woman, the first thing that they want to do is, oh, okay, well, let's find someone that we both can be with because it feels a lot less scary because it's like, well, we're doing this together. So we both have the same partner. So that means that there won't be a lot of jealousy and there won't be a lot of these different things that we experience uh, that, you know, if we were to date other people, it feels a lot less scary. But actually, a triad of relationships are more like polyamory 301 instead of polyamory 101, but we kind of have it confused and we think like that's like the jumping point into polyamory, but it's actually a very difficult dynamic to uh, maintain and to navigate through, especially if it's your first time and your first experience with non-monogamy. And so I was struggling a lot and I was having a lot of just emotional meltdowns about it, because if you never existed in the space of seeing your partner be in love with someone else, interact with someone else, seeing how they have a different romantic dynamic with someone, and then all of that is happening like right in front of your face, it can be very jarring. Mm-hmm. And so I had joined all these different polyamory groups online, you know, just trying to find advice and, and you know, gain community and have people to talk to about it and to talk to the struggles. And I noticed that In the community, it was almost very taboo to talk about the things that you were struggling with, talk about feeling jealous, talk about not responding well to your partner going out on a date. There was very much this drive by people to really project this image that they were okay with everything, that they were, you know, enjoying the entire experience. And while I don't want to invalidate that, because I definitely do believe that there are people that that was genuinely their experience, But as I began to be more open and honest about the struggles that I was having, I began to resonate with a lot of people where they were like, oh my gosh, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you talked about that. I felt that too. Then that whole thing about empowerment and I didn't feel empowered to talk about it because there was so much shame around being honest about showing up human to this very, very, very different and new and scary thing. Um, And so that began to resonate with people, and so I began to share more, I began to talk more, and then I also began to talk through my process. So as I would process these emotions and learn things about myself and learn things about what I thought about relationships and love and my partners and myself in the context of monogamy and now being in this different space it really, really, really began to resonate with people. And then people began to seek me out and go, hey, I'm having the struggle with this thing. Can you help talk me through it? Or have you ever experienced this? And when you experienced this, what was it that you told yourself? What narrative that you have to rewrite in your mind to begin to change and shift your thoughts to adopt this new model of romantic relating? And so then I was like, well, you know, maybe this is something that I should actually do for people because I seem to have a knack for being able to articulate these very difficult and uncomfortable emotions, and then also articulate how I navigated through that process.
0: Yeah, it is definitely a process to, to go through it. I remember my first uh, relationship that wasn't monogamous and um, it was, it was difficult. And it was, he, at that time, he wanted it more than I did. And um, I was like, kind of going along for the ride in a way um, and interestingly enough like once I kind of like got into it I was like hey I actually like this this, is, this works for me I and then he started to get jealous <laughs> and, and he was like wait 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 but it's not like that like <laughs> you know I find it that
1: is very common so Usually what happens is like the person that wants to get in it. they're like, okay, I want to do this. And the other person is kind of like, eh, I'm not sure. And then what happens is you get into it and that other person sort of takes off. And then this person is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because oftentimes we think about ourselves and we go, I want non-monogamy, but we don't think, but also my partners are going to be doing these things too. And like, how does that make me feel? We also, we usually just approach it from, well, what do I want to do? How do I want to experience it? You know, I'm going to be going on dates. I'm going to be having all these partners. And it's like, yeah, but so is your partner. And how is that to feel for you? And a lot of times people just don't take that additional step of going, yeah, this other person is going to be doing it too. And that may bring up some uncomfortable things for you.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, I definitely, we had very different tastes in women. Like I was not at all attracted to the women that he was into. Um, and I was wanting to see other men. And so I think like if I had wanted to see the women that he wanted me to see that he liked, he would have been okay with that. But me being with other men was like too much. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's also very common, too. um, And it's also something that we actually kind of strive against in the polyamorous community because it comes up a lot, is this, and it actually has a name that's called OPP, or One Penis Policy, which is also trans-exclusionary, but that's something entirely different. Uh, But uh, it's this belief that you can, a man can, will say to his woman partners, you can have all the women you want, but when it comes to having other men, all of a sudden we don't understand Non monogamy, or it's like, no, 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 I wasn't expecting that. Or I, I, you know, I didn't think that I was going to, I wasn't going to be the only man on the scene. Um, and I've even seen men that will uh, institute that with their straight women partners. So they'll have a partner that's heterosexual that has no desire to have any romantic or sexual connection to a woman. And they'll still try to like make that an edict. Well, you can date other women, but you can't date men. And it's like totally not respective of their individual sexuality. A lot of that's just steeped in patriarchy. And this belief that you know men have entitlement to ownership over women's sexualities, and uh, I, I I don't I don't subscribe to any of that. And we never had that as a rule. Very early on, when we first started uh, swinging, that was one of the rules that we had. But we threw that one out very quickly because I just recognized very much how unfair it was if I had to go through dealing with whatever insecurities that I deal with in order to make space for my partner to have the autonomy to interact with other people, then they should be willing to do that same thing for me. And if I am a bisexual person, which I am, then it stands to reason that not only would I be attracted to women, but I would also be attracted to men. And a lot of times one of the um, the like justifications that men will use for that is like, well, you already have one, like, you know, They'll say, "So why do you need others?" And I can throw that right back at them and say, "Well, you already have one boba. so like you know, you're good. You know, not, you don't need <laughs> anybody." And so, yeah, and so very early on, we kind of threw that out, and it's never been an issue. But I also was married to someone who very much respected the fact that I was not, you know, under him. I'm not an object. I'm not subject to him. I'm an equal human being with equal rights. And so he was very able to apply the logic to that, even though he struggled with his own emotions about it, but he was very much able to apply the logic and kind of allow me my full humanity.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And so how do you uh, how do you coach people? How do you personally deal with jealousy?
1: Uh so jealousy is one of those things that come up a lot. It's one of the first things that people ask about um when I tell people that I'm non-monogamous, or when people hear about non-monogamy, it's usually the first thing you hear is, Oh my gosh, I could not do that. I'm way too jealous. It's like the first thing, or how do you not, or do you not get jealous, or don't you get jealous? And I also find that it's very interesting that when I express times when I'm jealous, people are almost like they don't even understand it. And I I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm still a human being, like you know, so it's not like and while there are definitely people in non-monogamy who just don't experience a lot of jealousy, like I always say that we have an emotional index. We all as human beings have an emotional index. And some emotions we experience to a very high degree. Some emotions we don't experience at all or we experience to a very low degree. But we all have an emotional index. And so there are definitely people out there that just for whatever reason, you know, jealousy is just not an emotion that they experience a lot of. I'm very envious of those people because I'm not one of those people. Um, Jealousy is something that I experience very, 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 very strongly. And so um, because of that, it actually is very useful for me because it very much helps me in my work to help people navigate through it because it is an emotion that I am deeply, deeply intimate with because it's one that I experience quite often. And so one of the first things that I tell people when they're experiencing jealousy is number one, don't demonize it. It's just an emotion. Same like happiness, sadness, fear, confusion, shame, embarrassment. It's just an emotion. And the constructs of monogamy that we have are set up so that we don't experience jealousy very often. So when you are in a monogamous relationship, or most of the monogamous relationships that I know of, usually people don't maintain friendships with their exes. Um, you know, say you have a heterosexual couple, they don't generally have friendships with people of the opposite sex because you don't want to have, you know, jealousy coming up. You know, if someone has a relationship with a work coworker or something, that's a problem. And so we've kind of set up the constructs of monogamy so that we don't experience jealousy or that we're not causing jealousy in our partners. But what that does is it creates sort of, um, Like We're almost immature with how we deal with it because we don't deal with it. And then you plunk yourself in this environment where you're dealing with jealousy all the time. And it's almost like I tell people it's like living in a house with no windows for all of your life. And then all of a sudden now you're stepping outside into the sun. You're going to be sensitive to it. Those first interactions with it are going to feel very, 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 very intense because you spent most of your life trying to avoid that emotion because we demonize it as like this terrible emotion that causes all of these terrible things to happen and it does but part of that is because we see it as like this like horrible horrible emotion that you just can't deal with so the first thing i tell people is number one don't judge yourself for experiencing it it's a normal human emotion it doesn't mean that you're a bad person it doesn't mean that you're less evolved that you're immature it just means that you're a human being and that something in you is being triggered so that's like the number one thing i tell people is calm down It's just a normal human emotion. And a lot of times that just that acknowledgement of going, it's okay for me to feel this. It's normal for me to feel this takes a lot of the edge off because what I find is what people are experiencing when they're really dealing with the intensity of the emotion is actually what they're dealing with is the intensity of their judgment of the emotion Mm -hmm. because they're either judging themselves for feeling it or they're judging the other person or involving them in a situation that is causing them to feel this very, very uncomfortable emotion. And so you have to let the judgment go. Don't judge yourself. Don't judge your partners. Just recognize that you're a human being. You're having a human experience, and you're experiencing a human emotion. And then once you kind of get past that, sitting with the emotion and kind of figuring out what it's trying to tell you. I tell people all the time our feelings are signals. They're like little messages from our baby cells, and so I tell people, while jealousy is a very uncomfortable emotion and it's very visceral. So like it is, you feel it very somatically. Like your stomach will turn, you can feel it in your gut, you feel this anxiety. It's a very visceral emotion. But if you can just take a couple of deep breaths and just sit with it. And I literally say to tell people when jealousy comes and it knocks on my door, I reluctantly open the door, but I invite it in and I go, okay, sit down, have a cup of coffee. And I have a conversation with it, you know, and I'm like, okay, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to tell me is going on? Is this something that's going on within me? I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling like my my relationship is threatened by what's going on with this other person. I'm feeling like they're more attracted than me, or my partner finds them more desirable than they do, or they enjoy their company more, or this person is trying to take my partner away, or I'm going to lose my relationship with this person, or this person is an indicator that I am not enough. Or it might be something that my partner is doing. They're not spending enough time with me. You know, I'm recognizing that there's an unmet need in my relationship, that this is, this is causing me to kind of become aware of. But I can't get any of that information if when the feeling hits me, I immediately run from it by either stuffing it down, acting like it doesn't exist, pretending that I'm not feeling it, judging myself for feeling it, lashing out my partner or reacting to it. Right. So you have to learn how to sit with the emotion of jealousy and then figure out what it's trying to tell you. Sometimes it's telling you that it's all you, it's all your internal work, stuff that you have to do. You need to work on feeling more secure. You need to work on feeling more secure in your relationship, feeling more secure in yourself. You need to work on your beliefs around love and your belief that if this person loves or enjoys this other person that they can't enjoy or love you. Sometimes it's you have to sit down and you have to talk to your partner and say, hey, we haven't been spending enough time together or hey, I'm really glad that you're excited about this connection that you have with this other person, but you being in this space of just talking to me about it all the time is a little challenging for me to deal with. Can you take that to somebody else or can you temper that a little bit when you talk to me? So having a conversation with your partners about what's going on, sometimes it's just that you haven't eaten since lunch and it's five o'clock and your blood sugar is low. <laughs> and you, have a, you, know, you might need to have a snack. It can be a variety <laughs> of things, but it's learning sit with the emotion and not demonize it, not judge it, find out what it's trying to tell you. And then making consciously making an effort to take a healthy approach to how you choose to navigate it. If that's sitting with yourself and talking with yourself through it, if it's talking to your partner about it, if it's just going, Hey, This is just a situation. There's nothing that I need to change within me. There's nothing that I need to change about what my partner is doing. I'm just feeling jealous and it's a normal human emotion and that's okay. And just waiting for the feeling to pass because they do pass, uh, whatever it is. But it's just learning to kind of not judge the emotion, learning to sort of kind of embrace it because I would say jealousy is one of the biggest uh, proponents of self-discovery that I've ever experienced. It's a very useful tool for learning about yourself, your beliefs about relationships, your beliefs about love, your beliefs about your partners. Uh, but you can't do that if the second it hits the, the scene, you're like, ah, you know, and you run away, you know what I mean? Or you just react to it. So it's, it's kind of learning to sit with that emotion.
0: Yeah. So really, it's just like having responsibility for your emotions.
1: Very mm-hmm. much so. Very much so. And, and learning what is yours and so much of how we relate. And this is not just... Um, uh, romantic relationships, this is our friendships, this is our familiar relationships. We place a lot of responsibility on our emotions on other people right. and what they're doing, what they said to us, how they reacted to us. And I'm not saying that people don't have a responsibility to show up to us well if somebody is abusing you, if somebody is treating you poorly. It's normal to have a reaction about that, it's normal to have an emotional response to that. But your emotions are your responsibility. Mm. They're your responsibility to deal with. They're your responsibility to own, um, and they're not other people's responsibility to 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 kind of move around your emotions. That's very much your work. And non-monogamy like ramps up that work. <laughs> it really ramps up that like learning how. To take responsibility for your own emotional state and, and navigating your behavior. Because I always tell people all the time, I don't judge myself for my emotions. What I judge is my reactions to my emotions, how I showed up to my emotions, the behavior that I exhibited in my emotions, but I don't judge myself for my emotions. So I don't, I try not to do this to myself. And obviously I'm human, you know, I have my moments, but I try not to do this to myself of going, Vita, you should be feeling this way, or you should not be feeling this way, or this is a wrong way to feel, or this is the right way to feel. You feel what you feel. And once a feeling is there, it's there. And so yes, it would be nice to like, have more control over what we feel sometimes and be able to kind of pick and choose what we feel. But in reality, if that was the case, then everybody would be picking and choosing happiness all the time. Like, who would choose to be sad? Who would choose to be angry or to be irritated or feel confused? Because those are uncomfortable. You know, so no one would, like, I don't feel like anyone would actively choose to be miserable. But those emotions are also useful. We, as human beings, are the ones that do good and bad emotions. But all emotions have gifts for us. All emotions have lessons for us. All emotions have things that we can glean from. And so rather than going, you know, I wish I was feeling a certain way, I wish I wasn't feeling a certain way, just kind of owning, hey, this is how I'm feeling. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just is. It's what I choose to do with that feeling, what I, what the self narrative that I choose to to, to, um, entertain in my mind because of that feeling, how I choose to show up to my partners, how I choose to show up to life, how I choose to show up to the situation. That is stuff that I take a critical look at, but my emotions, I just allow them to flow freely because I always say people, once you give your emotions their airtime instead of trying to stop them or trying to stop the flow of emotions, they move on a lot faster than when we do all these things trying to avoid feeling what we're feeling.
0: Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And it's, um, it's just so important to, like you said, have emotional maturity, but most people don't have this because at some state in our, in our growth process, our emotions got stunted. We were taught that, um, it was not valid to feel a certain way. We weren't worthy of feeling certain ways. We wouldn't belong. We wouldn't be safe if we expressed certain emotions or if we felt certain emotions and we learned that we had to shut these things down and we could only display, we could only exhibit certain parts of us basically in order to survive.
1: Right. I also feel that we often hold a picture of ourselves of who we want to be And sometimes that is very dismissive of who we actually are. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be the person who doesn't get jealous. We want to be the person who's totally happy, and especially in the polyamorous community, there's this emotion called compersion. And what compersion means is feeling a sense of joy at your partner's interactions with other people. And we elevate this emotion as like if you're able to feel this emotion, it's the gold standard of polyamory. You've evolved, you've arrived, you're, you know, like I would say, people, you live on Mount Olympus, you know what I mean? And so like now you've elevated yourself to this like echelon of like godhood you know, because you're able to experience or feel, you know, this emotion of compersion. And so we have in our mind, well, this is the person that I want to be. And so, but if we do that oftentimes dismissing the person that we actually are. And so we judge our emotions and we almost won't look at them. So we won't go, you know, I'm not feeling that way. That's not what I'm feeling because we judge ourselves for feeling that. And the emotion doesn't go away. It still stays there. And I find that it's much more helpful and much more effective when we acknowledge what we're actually feeling instead of what we wish we were feeling because I can't do anything about what I wish I was feeling if I'm not feeling it. I can only do something about what I'm actually feeling. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold... Uh, these emotions or these emotional states as goals to attain because you definitely want to be doing a self-work to improve your emotions or to have them show up and be a lot less sharp or a little less acute and there is a work that goes there but you have to honor where you are while also holding space for where you want to be That's because I, I tell people all the time polyamory and I read this in a, a book once that polyamory is very much like an exercise and so look at it as if say you are on a fitness journey and you want to go to the gym and you currently are bench pressing 90 pounds. And so you're like, okay, right now I go in the gym, I can bench press 90 pounds and that's great. But I'd like to get myself to a place to where I can bench press 200 pounds and that's where I want to be. If I go into the gym bench pressing 90 pounds saying I want to bench press 200 pounds and my first day in the gym with that goal in mind, I put 200 pound plates on the bar and I try to push that up. I'm going to injure myself. I'm not going to be able to do it or I'm going to hurt myself. And so you have to hold that right now. I am at 90 pounds and there's nothing wrong with that. And I want to get to 200 pounds and I will get there. But that is going to be a work. That is going to be a process. That is going to be something that you're going to have to work toward. And you work toward that by honoring where you are now, rather than pretending that you're in a place that you're not, because you're going to cause damage to yourself. You might cause damage to the equipment. You know, you might cause damage to your spotter, you know, and so uh, you can cause damage to a lot of people around you and also to yourself if you're not acknowledging that, hey, I'm just not there yet. And that's okay
0: totally i uh i guess like i know every time i've been in an open relationship i i've never done polyamory i've done open relationships and i've always just kind of been kind of like relieved when the guy had someone else to entertain him <laughs> it was like all right i've got some space to do what i want to do someone else is taking care of him right now
1: <laughs> right
0: and and that
1: Um, that is one of the beauties of polyamory. And initially you don't really get that because you're still working through what your emotions are. But like, once you get to that place where you've kind of worked through it, it's very much allows you the space to sort of reconnect with yourself, reconnect with, you know, the things that you can do for yourself to make yourself happy. And also lifting this kind of burden off of your shoulders of feeling like you have to be someone's everything right all the time because as human beings it's just not possible for me to be someone's everything all the time try though i might i can't be someone's everything all the time and they can be my everything all the time. And so it is nice and it is a comfort, especially if you really love a person, you should want them to have as many people as they can have in their lives that bring goodness to them, that bring love to them, that bring enjoyment to them, because if they're happier overall, then they're gonna be happier with you overall, and you're going to reap the benefit of that. But oftentimes our egos kind of get in the way of going, this other person is making this person happy, and I'm not at the moment. And what does that say about me? Does that mean that I'm not enough? Or if this other person can make this person happy, well, what do they need me for?
0: Mm, Yeah, brings up a lot for sure. One Mm -hmm. uh, statement that I, I hear quite a bit in different open communities is, I don't own another person's sex. Like, you know, I don't own their sex. And so how do you, how do you coach people to honor the autonomy of your partners?
1: Well, firstly, it's getting out of that belief of ownership. And a lot of our language around our romantic relationships is ownership. This is my boyfriend. This is my partner. This is my husband. That's a lot of what you see. Um, and so there's this belief, or even like, you know, in the marriage vows, the two shall become one flesh. So we, we believe that this person is not really a separate individual or a separate entity, but they're just an extension of who we are. They're, you know, another limb or, you know, another arm, another leg, you know, another head, another heart. Um, but that's very much engrafted into our bodies and who we are. And so it's first recognizing that this is a separate human being, their body belongs to them, their sexuality belongs to them, and they get to choose when and with whom they engage in that with. And sometimes it might be me, and sometimes it might not be me, and that that's okay. And I always tell people all the time, put yourself in that person's shoes, if someone was dictating to you what you could do with your body, so if somebody was dictating to you if you could sit in a chair or you can't wear your hair that way or just these different things, would you be okay with that? How would that feel for you if someone was trying to tell you what to do with your own body? So then why would you want to do that to someone else? And I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be conversation around that because we do have to talk about sexual health. You know, so if someone's out there and they're engaging in practices that are risky or they're engaging in practices that could potentially cause you to have uh, uh, harm, that is something that needs to be acknowledged. But it very much needs to be acknowledged from the space of, okay, this is what this person is doing with their body. And so I'm going to make choices for my body with that information but not from a space of going you need to stop doing this thing that you're doing or you know i get to control how you show up to your own sexuality because your sex a person's sexuality is very personal deeply personal what a person does with their body is deeply personal what a person does with their consent is deeply personal and i don't want anybody dictating that for me and so because of that i'm not going to dictate that for someone else
0: mm, yeah Definitely. Yeah. I remember having one conversation where I was like, all right, well, if you're not having, if you're not using condoms, when you're having sex with people, then I'm choosing to not have sex with you because I'm going to be using condoms when I'm having sex with other people. And I'm going to have use condoms when I have sex with you also. But like, that's just the choice that I'm making for my body. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, if you're not, I'm not going to have sex with you. Simple as that. You know, it's like plenty of other people have sex with. <laughs>
1: right exactly and that's that would be considered reasonable behavior so if someone is engaging in these very high risk activities because i feel like there's no such thing as safe sex all sex comes with risk there's just safer sex and different people have different risk profiles some people are comfortable with high levels of risk some people are comfortable with way 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 less levels of risk and so sometimes you have two people in a relationship where one person is is okay with these very high levels Another person is very okay, is not okay with these very high levels. And then you have to kind of negotiate and go, okay, well, what activities are you willing to engage with me in knowing that this is how I show up in the sexual space and this is how you show up in the sexual space. And also learning to really broaden and expand what our ideas are around sex and pleasure. Because, like you could say, okay, well, I don't, I don't feel comfortable engaging in penetrative sex with you because this is what you're doing with other people, but we can use toys. You know, we can do these other things together. It's not that we can't be intimate with each other. There are just certain things that I'm just not comfortable doing, but it doesn't mean that we can't still show up to pleasuring one another. And so learning to kind of have these more, um, more integrated conversations about what sex and pleasure look like. And a part of that is also moving away from heteronormativity in sex and patriarchy in sex so that we can sort of begin to expand what sex looks like. Because if you ask 10 different people, what is sex? They're all gonna have 10 different responses. Right. And we begin to broaden our uh, uh, pr- perspectives on what sex and pleasure look like with people. We can allow for more autonomy in that space, because now we are having, it's a conversation and we're both kind of coming together and meeting together and and sort of agreeing on, okay, this is how we want to engage in this in a way that feels most comfortable for both of us. And in that way, you're able to have more pleasure because both people are sort of on board with what's going on and nobody's kind of doing something that they don't really feel comfortable doing, but they're just trying to, you know, interact and please their partner.
0: Mm. So how is what, Would you consider sacred sexuality something that you explore and engage in?
1: It's something that I'm very new to, um, uh, simply because uh, I didn't really have uh, partners that were also kind of into it. And so now it's something that I'm kind of trying to uh, explore myself and what sex looks like for me energetically. I've definitely changed as I've gotten older and I'm very much a sex positive person. I'm super like, let your, let your freak flag fly, ho with life. Like, you know, have as much sex and as much pleasure as you want to have. Uh, and I've definitely existed in that space for most of my life. Now, as I've gotten older and I've noticed that my desire to engage in sex in a different way has changed. I'm wanting to have sexual interactions that also incorporate more of uh, the spiritual aspect of life and um, the spiritual aspect of myself or where I feel like I can also be spiritually intimate with a person in that moment. Not that I knock. Uh, encounters where I can't or that I wouldn't engage in encounters where I can if I wanted to, because I do. But I would also like to have the experience of having that kind of exchange with a person as well. So that's something that I'm like now just kind of getting into. And what does that look like
0: for me? Awesome. Fun. How do you think that's going to impact your life? Any thoughts around that? Um,
1: I think that it's going to open up a new vehicle of experiencing pleasure in a very different way, um, because pleasure for me was very, um, visceral. So very much, you know, just about the bodily sensation, what I was feeling in my body and that's fine and that's great. And I really enjoyed that. But I also would like to have the experience of sort of having these deep energetic exchanges, especially as I'm understanding that that is also possible. So for me, it's just all about having access to as much pleasure as possible, having access to as many sexual experiences as possible, um, and sort of fully fleshing myself out as a sexual being, um, and like really owning into like my full, like I want to have a, I would like to be able to say that I've had fully embodied sexual experiences where mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, that was all connected and that was all keyed into the experience. And I've had, you know, bits and pieces here and there, but I don't know that I've ever really fully experienced, uh, you know, situations where all of those things were on and they were all dialed in and all turned up. And I would like to know what that is like uh, and if that's possible for me, which I'm sure it is, but I'd like to have that possibility as well. Not judging any other Ways that people engage in sexuality because I'm here for all the sex, but it's just an experience that I would like to be able to have.
0: Oh yeah, I totally get that. Like there are a lot of people that are in the space of sacred sexuality, a spiritual sexuality, are super judgmental of like normal sex, and it's like, I mean, while I do prefer to have like tantric sex just because it feels so much better. Uh, to me, I still have no shame, no judgment around just going out and, like, f- having a good fuck, you know, just, like, meeting someone random, going home with them, like, you know, having a few drinks and then, like, <laughs> having sex like that. Like, there's fun in that. There's value in that, too. And, like, I definitely am not one of those Tantra teachers that's like, oh, they have this type of sex. And, like, I've come across so many that are like that that are just like super judgy about like not having tantric sex or conscious sex or whatever term they want to put on it and it's like no sex is good no matter what <laughs> there's definitely like better sex you know but <laughs> I've learned how to have pretty good sex regardless
1: and <laughs> I like as long as it's bring, bringing you pleasure, it's all valid. It all has merits. Um, it's kind of like food. So like yes, I enjoy a good filet mignon, and I also enjoy a Philly cheesesteak, and I also enjoy a McDonald's hamburger on occasion. You know, <laughs> so like I don't I don't have these judgments. Of it's, it's very much about what I want to experience in the moment. And if tantric sex is all that works for you, and that's all that you're interested in, great awesome, wonderful, fantastic, go forth and do that. But like, don't judge others if that is not their experience or they're also they're able to engage in this, but they're also able to enjoy this thing as well, because it's very much an individual journey. Like people's sexuality is very much about their individual experience. And I feel like it's all valid. And so I don't really come from this vantage point of like judging how people engage in their sexuality so long as it is consensual and that it is healthy, healthy for them and healthy for the people that they're engaging in. You know, I I really don't have anything to say about, you know, what they're doing.
0: Right. Have fun. Enjoy. (laughs) So what does um, femininity mean to you?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, Because so much of how we view what is considered feminine comes from a lot of these isms that we have in society, you know, like I said, heteronormativity, racism, colonialism, ableism, you know, so many of these different things. Um, and so what femininity means to me, it's very much being connected to that kind of goddess energy. And a lot of people sort of have this very distorted view of goddess energy is as very soft and light and, and calm. And, and, and yes, there's that aspect of it, but there's also that aspect of like that Kali, like, you know, kind of, you know, respect me or be destroyed, you know, right. it's also strong it's powerful. It's, it's, it's resilient. It's, 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 it's bold. And so for me, femininity is very much about connecting to the, the authentic woman that I want to be, and then fully owning that. And sometimes that is softness. And sometimes that is, is, uh, being, you know, making space for beauty, making space for softness, making space for for calm and, and gentleness and tenderness, and sometimes that's fully embodying that 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 goddess kind of force energy and that strength and that power that comes in being a woman because women are very strong, we're very powerful, we're very magical beings, and so for me, femininity is very much about being the most authentic woman that you want to be, whether or not you're. Uh, cisgender, transgender, non-binary, it's very much just owning that I am a woman and I am very secure in that about myself and that I have the ability and the right to craft whatever that means for me. And that that is feminine because it's my femininity. So femininity for me is a very personal thing and it's very much about just being the authentic woman that you are and, and, and putting that out to the world without shame.
0: Mm, beautiful. Yeah. I love that Kali energy. Kali is like the tantric goddess that I most often connect with in my practices and like just really channel that energy. And it is, it's so strong. It's so fierce. It is so fucking powerful, right? It's not about the like sweet, gentle (laughs) pushover. And there's a time and a place certainly for the peaceful, for the gentle, for um the sweetness, the softness, all of that. But you're right, it is. It's it's all of it. And that's one of the things that I love about Tantra is the the goddesses uh depict the full range of human emotion. Like and they totally validate all aspects of of woman um in the state of goddess. As uh, so it's uh lo- love that you brought that up. Um what areas do you see that the feminine and masculine can heal?
1: Wow. Um, I think that firstly, so I, I read a quote once that said, um, the violence that we inflict upon others, we inflict upon ourselves. Mm. And so when we don't allow both the feminine and the masculine to have a fully embodied human experience, we place ourselves in roles. And so women and, you know, feminine identified people are always supposed to show up in one way. And so these things are accessible to them and these things are not accessible to them because these things belong to men and masculine identified people. And these things are accessible to them and these things are not accessible to them. And so we're not allowing both of those polarities to have the full range of the human experience. So men are not allowed to be emotional. They're not allowed to be soft. They're not allowed to be gentle. And women are not allowed to be strong. They're not allowed to be hard. They're not allowed the space of, of, of being uh, powerful. And so what that does is it keeps us in this constant state of being in these Roles with one another, and so we're not being authentic. And so it's not that we're having these experiences where women are feeling like they need to be powerful or hard or strong or logical, or and men aren't feeling like they need to be soft or gentle or you know peaceful or calm. But because that's not we don't allow them the access to do it, they're they're doing it in these very inauthentic ways, and so we're not able to authentically interact with one another because we're putting each other in boxes and women do it to men and men do it to women all the time. And so we, we sort of self-perpetuate these things. And so I think that it's it's first kind of recognizing that we have to fully embrace our humanity as men, as women, as masculine and feminine, and allow each polarity to be full human beings. So that way we can begin to authentically relate to one another, because if men are constantly subjugating women, then they're constantly placing themselves in the role of the oppressor. And that does something to your humanity. And if you're constantly being in a victim role, that also does something to your humanity. And so it's, we need to sort of kind of equalize. And then what I find is that there's this, like, this, this, like, like this, uh, drive to kind of, instead of going, Hey, we want to equalize this. No, we will also want to subjugate because what we see is, okay, well, the men are in power and how they wield that power is by subjugation. And so rather than going, we need to equalize that. It's like, no, we need to flip the tables. And it's like, no, like the goal is not to have them on the bottom and us on top. The goal is to get to a place to where we're equal because we are equal. Yeah, there may be different roles, you know, or we may, you know, show up in different ways, but they're not good or bad or, you know, lower or higher. They're just different. And so what really needs to heal is we need to allow um, men the space to be full human beings and we need to allow women the space to be full human beings. And then we also need to sort of, like I said, bridge that gap so that we can begin to authentically relate to one another so we can allow space for men to have their, you know, real emotions and to be able to recognize themselves as emotional human beings. Because if you are a human being, you are having emotions that is just real, you know? And we also allow women to, to begin to be able to step into their power and to be able to see themselves as powerful human beings, as strong, as capable. Um, And, and so kind of like, like bridge these gaps so that we can actually have authentic relationships to one another. Because I think that's one of the reasons why relationships Are so challenging between men and women is because we're always playing a role and we're always you know we're, we're, we're not really authentically interacting with each other we're interacting with each other you know through these roles that we've created and that we keep shoring up and it's like we see the the damage that the role does but yet we still continue to perpetuate it because like there's almost like a security in kind of going well i don't really have to think deeper about how I'm showing up. Cause I can just kind of default into this role that was sort of crafted for me without actually really going, is that really who I am? Or is that how I really want to show up?
0: Right. Yeah, we just default to our conditioning rather than creating the new way of being that, you know, we, we, it's in our cortex, we have these ideas of who we want to be, but then we don't actually show up that way. We just, you know, go to this default. We've got, you know, these patterns, these habits, this conditioning that's just easy to be in. And it is, you got to show up, you got to do the work, you got to, you know, actually take some time to consider what it is that you're doing how you're reacting why are you why are you triggered this way what trauma is underneath those triggers and right. it, it, it takes being a, a conscientious person being aware where
1: is this coming from where is this coming from why was this my impulse emotion why was this my impulse thought and what is dictating that is that coming from me? Or is that coming from some belief that was programmed in when I wasn't even aware of that? And does that belief reflect who I am today, what I know about the world today, the situation that I'm currently in, does that continue to serve me moving forward? And a lot of times, because these things are so automatic, they literally just you know, they switch on, that getting that little tiny space in between that 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 switch turning on to sort of examine that impulse um, can be very hard to do if you're not cognizant and if you're not being mindful.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it absolutely can. And you see people all over the place all the time just being in these reactionary states because of it. I, and I really agree with what you say as well about how we see kind of people saying, "Well, the tables have flipped now," and and whatever. Whoever the oppressor was before, like, now we're going to oppress them. And it's like, is that really what the goal of all these um, movements are? All of these petitions for human rights and, you know, growth and progress just to then become the new oppressor and to say, like, now I'm on top and you're on bottom. I don't think so. I'm an activist and that's not what I'm standing for. Like when I I hear people uh, or when I personally look at, um, you know, equal rights for different groups, like, I hope that we will actually achieve equality, not sameness, you know, because we're all unique individuals, but I would love to see equality. I would love to see respect and and real healing between the different groups. And, um, and I think that we have an opportunity to really create that. Um, I do think that the, the movements of people that are really working towards healing, um, I think that there, there are actually a lot of us out there right now, really um, wanting to see that we, we do have this real space of coming together. And we're always going to be human with all of our emotions and all our different differing opinions um, that that will cause conflict. I think that is just part part of our biology. There will always be conflict, right? But I do think that we have the opportunity right now to to elevate beyond where we were and not just flip the tables. Right,
1: and that's never something, I understand that drive, especially coming from a marginalized identity. You know, I'm black, I'm queer. Um, So I understand that drive and I don't necessarily judge it because hurt people hurt people. And of these different oppressive uh, structures that we have in society, they cause a lot of trauma. They do, and they've caused a lot of trauma for a very long time, and so I understand that drive, and I don't necessarily judge it, but I also feel like that drive comes from that space of not being healed from that trauma, because when you're healed from trauma, you don't want to perpetuate it, because you understand how traumatic it was for you and how painful it was for you, and you don't want anybody to go through that. So like I don't exist in a space of feeling so angry about these oppressive structures that are exist in society that I wanna get to a space to where I'm inflicting that on someone else, even the person who inflicted that on me, because that doesn't feel good in my spirit. I don't want to do that to any human being. You know, I don't want any human being to go through those things because I know how damaging and how hard it is. For me to go through it. And I want to exist in a world where no one is doing that to anybody. So like, you know, to me, it's not about flipping the tables and turning the tide. So now it's like we're doing that back to someone else. It's about creating a world where that doesn't exist on any level, on any plane for anyone, and that we all feel safe.
0: Right. And using the anger, like in a righteous way of like, yeah, we're going to destroy these systems, but not just to create new ones that are equally as uh, destructive. Right. Yeah. It's been so amazing to talk with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, It's been just really enlightening and informational and you're, Amazingly engaging, and you just have so much information. So, thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And, um, will you let the ladies or will you let everybody know uh, how they can connect with you?
1: Absolutely. So, um, you can connect with me on my Facebook page, Lavita Loca Sawyers. I do what's called today's polyamory reminder. So, generally, daily, occasionally, I'll skip a couple days, but I just talk about different polyamory snippets, things to remember, things to reflect on. Um, And that's also where you can book sessions with me. I do individual coaching. I also do couples and more coaching. So sometimes you need a mediator, uh, someone who can kind of go between and help you to see the other person's side that's not connected to the situation. And so you can book time with me there. I am also on um, Patreon at LaVitaLocaStories if you want to support my work, and then on Instagram at Loca 34 um, and I also do my polyamory reminders on there as well. I will be speaking for a Poly Dallas Millennium Virtual Conference in November. There's information on my Instagram and on my Facebook page about how to register for that. And that will have a variety of polyamorous speakers. It also focuses on polyamorous speakers of color because there aren't a lot of us in the community. It's definitely growing, Uh, but um, it very much focuses on the voices of people of color in the polyamorous community. But the uh, conference is open to people of all uh, nationalities, ethnicities, et cetera, to attend. And it's virtual. It'll be online this year, um, so anyone can attend from anywhere in the world. And um, I'm around, so uh, I do a lot of uh, speaking. I'm speaking on a Black bisexual uh, panel for Black bisexual people that's coming up, I believe, at the end of this week on the 19th. And um, so like I said, Loca 34 on Instagram, Sawyers on Facebook, Sawyers on Patreon. And uh, that's how you can uh, find me and connect with me and connect to my services as well.
0: Well, you are a wealth of information. And I hope that uh, anyone exploring um, non-monogamy will reach out to you because I know no doubt that you can definitely help guide them through it. So again, thank you so much for being here. Oh. Hey, it's Sarah again. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the links in the show notes for everything we discussed in this episode. And you can also find out about how you can work with me. Until next time, lovers. Down tonight. Yeah.